Thank you, buddy. I was hoping maybe we could just keep the band up one day with the energy and just if something good's happening, they could just click into it and go. That'd be fun, right? When we do the Don't Stop Believing message, maybe we should have them up here in case I bust out. You think? Oh, yeah. I think we can try it. All right, guys, guess what? We have a date. Are you ready? Here we go. Look at the screens. Dun, da, da, da. September the 18th, we will be back in the worship center. All right. Um, looks like, unless we have a major glitch, that's going to happen. We did not feel it appropriate to go back and really celebrate on the 11th. We believe that's a day of remembrance, and we need to honor that day. So we felt the 18th was more appropriate. They are coming very close to the finish line. And uh, so I'm extremely excited about that. It's looking absolutely fantastic. If you don't like it, to, uh, email Frank. No, I'm kidding. Uh, no, I, I think you're going to love it. I think it's, it's very uh, clean and modern. It looks much like the rest of the church has been redone already. So I'm very, very excited. It's going to be extremely useful. We have a number of baptisms already scheduled. So if you would like to be baptized, if you need to be baptized biblically, um, we had someone come up just last hour. We had several decisions last hour, but someone came and said, I need to work this out with my baptism. Um, listen, please listen to today's message and, and come and nail that down and get on the schedule for September the 18th, okay? Um, I would also ask just as a GPA that you pray for Miss Heather over there. Um, we thought she was going the other day. She went to the doctor to get checked, and the baby was measuring almost nine pounds. <laughs> and so um, she is scheduled to be induced Tuesday morning, about 5.30 they go in. So if not before, uh, we took her out on the boat the other day and tried to hit some waves, but it didn't work. That's a true story. Um, but, uh, you know, pray for them. They're ready, all right? And uh, I think Lucy's ready. I don't know. We'll see. So Sophia's on the way. We were giggling on the boat the other day. She called her Sopopia. She said, Sopopia's coming. So it's going to be fun. Um, Pray for them. Okay, Hebrews, an anchor for the soul. Why this theme? Why did I choose this language? Well, you're going to see it today. We're going to see it multiple places in the book of Hebrews, but you're especially going to see it today. The tendency is to drift. And when I hear that word, especially in the context of chapter 2, verse 1, I hear it as a boat. I kind of see the picture. If you've ever seen something come untied, and it breaks loose of its mooring. That tendency is, especially on these lakes around here that are just swollen rivers, there's movement, there's current, and there's a drifting. We're going to learn Hebrews 2.1 over the next couple of weeks. I've got a two-part message here, and we're going to learn Hebrews 2.1. So let's start it today. No blanks. We'll just say it together. You ready? You guys join me. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. Yeah. Do you guys think about that too when you see drift away? Do y'all see that kind of imagery, like a boat sort of drifting away? Um, have you ever been in the ocean swimming and gotten caught in the current? I mean, you don't have to try to move, right? If you just go out and swim in the ocean, you're going to drift from your party. You ever done that where you've been out there and all of a sudden you look up and they're way down? They didn't move. Well, they could have, and that would have been funny, but probably you moved, right? Probably the current was moving you. You said, I didn't have to do anything. Ah, so listen carefully to today's message. We've been asking questions in this series all along. I ask, who's the goat? Not just Tom Brady, guys. It's Jesus Christ. He's the greatest of all time. And then I ask, what's up with angels? And we saw in every category, Jesus is so much greater than the angels. Hey, they're important. I'm not saying that angels aren't important. They're God's messengers. They're God's ministers. 
but Jesus is so much greater. Today I want to ask another question, staying with that boating theme. This week and next week will be the question, who's at the helm? Y'all know what a helm is, right? You got a picture of it, just a ship's wheel, a boat wheel. I have a helm on my boat. It's not nearly that fancy. It's just a stainless steel wheel and the little center console boat we have. But it's what we use to steer it, to drive it. So like that old Carrie Underwood song, Jesus, take the wheel. Who's at the wheel? If your life is a ship, if your life is a boat, who is driving? You may think you are. But I would argue based on the evidence that nobody can really drive themselves. It doesn't really work that way. You can try, but you're going to have a problem. Uh, I used to love doing overnight fishing tournaments. I used to do a lot of bass tournaments at night. We'd start maybe 10 o'clock at night. We'd fish till about 6 a.m. to weigh in the next morning. These were some really interesting tournaments where most guys ran black lights with a mono line, a floral line that you could actually see it light up in the black light. And we would fish um, all over different lakes, mostly North Carolina and Virginia. My, my fishing buddy, some of our Dobson people may know him, his name was Charles. Um, we fished together a lot in those years. He was the boater, I was the rider, and so he loved to go fast. He had one of those bass boats. My engine doesn't go that fast. He, he liked to do 70. And I don't mind doing 70 necessarily, except when it's 2 a.m. and it's pitch black. That's scary, right? And one night, um, I'm glad he had an acrylic shield on his boat. He had a bass boat, but it was almost more of a fishing ski because he had an acrylic shield. And we tucked down where it would be really chilly riding in the boat at night. And if we were leaving a spot where we were not successful, we'd cut across sometimes three, four, five miles down the lake. And we were, t we were tucked in. Well, he didn't see it. I didn't see it. There was a duck on the water in front. And I'm not going to be graphic other than to say Daffy had a really bad night, y'all. It was not good because he couldn't get off the water quickly enough when we were going at that high rate of speed. I have no idea how it didn't crack that shield other than it was acrylic, I guess. But it would have taken one of our heads off. I even told him because several times I'd say, man, you need to slow down. It is too dark. Some nights you can see on the water real well. Sometimes the moon and such will light the water and it's pretty, pretty good. Other nights it's dark and this night was dark. And to be honest with you, I didn't fish a whole lot with him after that because I realized without the shield, we, one of us would have been hurt if not killed. And that's a true story. And the reality is this, not only is it dark because you, and when I, when I say that, I mean for you, you don't know tomorrow. I don't know tomorrow. I don't know this afternoon, man. I mean, I think I know what I'm going to do after my bologna sandwich. I think I know where I'm going to be laying, but I'm not positive about that. And so there's a darkness to life that says, I can see today, I'm living the moment, but I don't really know what's out there. And so if I'm at the helm, that's a danger. If you've been in a boat long enough, I've done it on our boat. There are things that lie under the surface of the water, particularly if y'all boated Fort Loudon. Holy mama. That's like playing a, a, a game of dodgeball with all the stuff that gets in the water. And you just have to really be careful because it could be just under the surface that something's ready to get you. It's ready to knock the bottom into your engine out or ready to, to mess you up. The thing is, that's the way life works. But there is a captain. There is one who can anchor us in this life. And that's what we're seeing. So what we're going to look at here is what is God encouraging us to do? This is what the writer of Hebrews is going to unpack in the first nine verses. In the last half of chapter 2, why are we going to do it? What are we called to do? Chapters 2, 1 through 9. Why are we called to do it? 10 through 18. That'll be next week. Stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word. 
Now it starts with an important word. The word is therefore. Chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, remember, when your Bible was written just like mine, it had no chapter numbers, no verses. That was a much, much later invention that helped us kind of keep up and reference things. But this was just a letter. And so as the writer is telling these persecuted Jewish Christians, don't go back. Jesus is greater. He's even better than the angels. And you guys believe in angels. He goes, therefore... They're ministering spirits. They're important. They're fine. Therefore, because of that, we must give the more earnest heed, meaning listen up even more carefully to the things we've heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proves steadfast, what do you mean by that? Well, didn't an angel tell Mary, you'll be with child? And she was. Didn't an angel tell Joseph, hey, she's pregnant of the Holy Spirit, and this will be the Christ child? He did. His name will be Jesus. Yes, yes. All the stuff angels said, even way back to Abram, Abraham, Lot, all the way through. If these angelic messengers were right, look at this, pay even more attention, because if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, like this, hey, Lot, don't look back. Leave the city, don't look back. And yet his wife looked back. Well, there's retribution. There's a problem if you choose to sin. Well, if the angels were right, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord. In other words, Jesus was telling us. Jesus was saying the Son of Man must suffer and die and be raised the third day. But then it was confirmed to us by those who heard him, all of those early apostles, disciples. God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, various miracles, gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will, Pentecost and what would follow. All of these early believers were seeing God do the miraculous among them. And, and the writer is saying, look, you've seen this in your lifetime over and over and over. God has been faithful for he has not put the world to come of which we speak in subjection to angels. But one testified in a certain place saying, this is David who testified in Psalm 8. What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you take care of him. You've made him a little lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor. Set him over the works of your hands. Put all things in subjection under his feet. Now that's a twofold meaning. It's talking about people but even more about Jesus Christ. For in that he put all in subjection under him. He left nothing that is not under him. That's specific to the Lord. But now we do not yet see all things put under him. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels. I'll explain that in a minute. For the suffering of death, but now look what happened to him. Now he's crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm very grateful here that this section concludes with Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, tasting death for everyone. Not just a few, but for everyone. Whosoever will may come. Whosoever will may call on the name of the Lord and be saved. Yet simultaneously we know that they've been chosen before the foundation of the world. Now how do we reconcile that in our puny brains? Well, Lord, I don't have to understand it all, but I can accept and believe that you are sovereign, that you have called me to yourself, but in giving me free will, you have allowed me to also say yes and receive this gift of salvation. I do not want to neglect so great a gift. 
And I pray if there's anybody here that's not nailed it down and been certain of their salvation and who's at the helm of their life, this would be the moment, this would be the hour, just like decisions already made, continue to move people and draw them to yourself for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you and be seated. So what is God asking us to do, gang? I think what he's saying here is don't get caught up in your culture. I know it's hard. I know you're facing challenges. Some of you are even going to lose your life. But he's saying this, tenaciously hold the truth. Your eternal destination depends on it. I use the word destination because I want you to think of that journey imagery, that being on a boat, that going down the lake or whatever it may be. I want you to think of that imagery that he's conjuring up here. Therefore, because Christ is so much better than the angels, because he's the goat, therefore, see in the Old Testament, some people think Old Testament's all the God of judgment and wrath, and New Testament's all the God of love and warm fuzzies. Not true. The same God of judgment and wrath is the same God of love, forgiveness, and grace. And so what we find is those things colliding here and saying, look, God does love you. God does send angels to minister to you, but you got to pay attention you got to pay even more attention to the message given by Jesus and by the apostles and by those early Christians who are in your family that you've witnessed signs and wonders and miracles. If you don't pay attention, you will drift away. Now that's one rendering of the Greek verb that's used there to give us this concept. Another idea is slip away or evaporate. It even could be translated with that concept. If you don't give sufficient heed to the gospel, it will just vanish into thin air. If you don't think on the things of God, it won't be dramatic or sudden. It will be insidious and it will be quiet. And the shock will come when you return to your faith and find that it is gone. It is evaporated. It is not there. He's saying to these folks, pay attention. If you don't listen to the truth of Christ, it will flee from your mind and you will be left without the faith given to your fathers. If I set a glass of water out and I want it to evaporate, what do I have to do? <laughs> Nothing. I give it enough time and it's gone, man. One of my best friends in college is named Gavin. Gavin was from Philly and Gavin and I became real close freshman year and then we were roommates sophomore year. Um, Gavin was in our wedding, I guess, wasn't he? Yeah. And uh, I think I was in his. Yeah, we went back to the chapel. We were married in the same place, a 300-year-old chapel at the College of William and Mary. And uh, I love my boy. My boy had a betta fish. His freshman year, he kept his betta fish in a glass, just a drinking glass. And so betas don't need a lot of water, a lot of room, but he just kept it in a glass. And uh, it was a cool betta, but he forgot it over Christmas break. And he went up to Philly. <laughs> and uh, yeah, when he remembered his betta, he thought, uh-oh, I'm going to come into a bad scene and probably a worse smell. And he walked back into his room after nearly a month at Christmas break. It was his sophomore year, my freshman year. And uh, there, there was about that much water left in the glass, and the beta was just looking at him like, where you been? <laughs> True story, man. He, the beta was still alive. And I'm like, what has this thing been eating for a month, right? Uh, we did have big cockroaches at William & Mary, but I don't think the beta was eating cockroaches. That thing was alive. But what did Gavin have to do to make the water in the glass go from here to here? <laughs> he just neglected it. He just didn't take care of it. And thankfully, the beta survived. Unhappy, I'm sure, but he survived. But another idea of like evaporating, leaking. Think about a leaky tire. You don't have to do anything other than just let it sit. And if you let it sit, it'll go flat. 
Those are all proper renderings of the concept. I personally, though, prefer the New King James rendering. I think it's even more pictorial. I think it has an alignment later with Hebrews 6 that talks about uh, anchoring. And he uses the phrase, the translators use the phrase, drift away. If you don't pay attention to what you've heard, you're going to drift away. It's the fate of a boat that slipped its moorings in the night. The owner comes to the dock expecting his boat to be tied up, ready to use, and finds nothing. The cleat's there, the, maybe the pole is there, the dock is there, the boat is missing. And as far as the eye can see, if it's left long enough, the boat has gone out of sight. It's disappeared. Now either the boat owner carelessly tied the line or he didn't tie it at all. And I don't know where we are in our culture right now. It seems like some people have no line attached and some people are carelessly tying their line. But the images are powerful. Evaporation describes vividly the insidious loss of faith because of preoccupation with other things. Gavin didn't mean to leave his fish. He just did. He was busy. He was ready to get home. And in our culture, it seems like with an abundance of stimuli and busyness and multiple involvements, our Christian commitment can simply dissipate. It's not that we want it to. It just does. It's no different than my motorcycle battery. Anybody that rides a bike, now you may ride more than me. I don't ride enough not to put it on a tender. Every bike, just like a four-wheeler, they're always on a battery tender. Why? Because I need to trickle charge so that when I hit the starter, man, a big old Harley, you don't get a kickstart. If I don't have a battery, I don't go anywhere. And without the battery charger, I come back to a dead battery. Not that I wanted a dead battery. I just got one because it will naturally degrade. Man, that's true with your faith. If you're not connected to the source of power, if you're not connected to Christ, you will fade. Neglecting it at home is a headache. The batteries on the boat are dead. The, the, the motorcycle battery did. Okay, but neglecting it in the spiritual realm is much more tragic. There was a man who anchored out on the Niagara River. He went to sleep in his boat but before long, it broke anchor, and the boat began to drift down to the rapids, and it was caught. He woke up, but it was too late. He went over the falls and was killed. Actually, many have been killed at Niagara Falls. Do you remember the Philippian jailer's question in Acts 16.30? The, God shook the prison. The doors miraculously came open. The jailer was going to take his life. Paul and Silas begged him, don't do that. They'd been singing hymns. They'd been praising God. You don't have to kill yourself, buddy. We're all here. We're all accounted for. That is some big old nasty thing right there, y'all. Ooh, look at that. <clears throat> Should I get him? I probably ought to. Is it making y'all nervous? <clears throat> all right, y'all want to take care of that later. <clears throat> so I just did a little tap dance. For those of you that are bug lovers, he was going to get somebody on the front. They were going to have anaphylaxis and die. I saved their life. Leave me alone. Okay. So anyway, what I'm, what I'm saying is that the jailer asked a question. You might remember the question. He said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they gave a very simple reply. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you and your household, meaning it's not age dependent. Anybody, any age, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you and your household, and you will be saved. It's a good question, what must I do to be saved? But I had never thought of it coming from the other angle. I'd never even processed it. And I'm reading some old stuff by J. Vernon McGee, pastor out in California, had a radio show for years. And he asked a different question. Check this out. What must I do to be lost? Ooh, 
That's a great question. Process that question for a minute. Okay, what must I do to be lost? What's the answer, church? Nothing. (laughs) You are born lost. You are born running from God. You are born a liar. (laughs) You're born telling stories and you say, well, I don't know about that. We're pretty good people, okay? Everybody loves John 3, 16. He gives them warm fuzzies. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I grew up on the King James, so it's hard for me to change to this one. But the new king says, look, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And we go, yes, Jesus saved, Jesus saved. We're so happy. And we don't ever read verse 18. Hmm. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe. All you got to do is not believe, is condemned already. Because he's condemned, why? Because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. I don't have to do anything to be lost. I just don't have to actively place my faith in Christ. And I'm automatically condemned under the wrath of God, child of Satan, lost. I mean, Ephesians is replete with information that tells us you are already dead in trespasses and sins. You are already a dead man walking. You are already heading toward the execution chamber apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. But you don't have to be, man. There's good news. Verse 2, for if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, meaning there was retribution for that, You spit in God's face, there's a price to be paid. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. He says, but how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and then was confirmed, confirmed to us by those who heard him. Guys, check this out. The importance of the message is often revealed by the persons chosen to communicate the message. In this case, the word first came from the Lord Jesus. It was then proclaimed and taught by the apostles who heard him as eyewitnesses. God then bore witness to it with signs and wonders and various miracles, the greatest of which is that Jesus came back to life and would live forevermore, not just resuscitated, but resurrected. The proclamation of the gospel was powerful in and of itself, but accompanying it were signs and miracles and wonders. And when you think about it, guys, look, the source and the circumstances of a message always matter. Always. Consider the source. Consider the circumstance. What's the circumstance? People are dying. Jewish Christians, those who came from Judaism into its fulfillment called Christianity, are losing their lives. They're losing their businesses, their homes, their family members, and they're looking around going, oh, oh, I don't know if this is worth it. I don't know if the price is too high. You remember the old shows? I know they're still on the air. I think they're a little different. I like the old American Idol when it was Simon Cowell when he was mean. He's gotten too nice now. And Paula Abdul, although I never understood why Paula Abdul would judge singing. I mean, seriously, straight up. I'm just telling y'all, okay? I'm just <laughs> You are awake. Good, good for you. <laughs> I don't know why. But Randy, Randy uh, Jackson, great musician. I don't know about the vocalist part, but great musician. But here's the deal, guys. I liked those days. They showed some of the the kids that came in that couldn't sing a lick, and they'd start, and they'd stop and say, now, who told you to audition? They said, well, my mama said I was good. Well, your mama is tone deaf, man. You're terrible. 
And it really doesn't matter what your mama says unless she can give you a record contract, right? You got to go to the authority. And the authority in that room were those three people or whoever it is now on all these shows. Those were the authority. Those could get you the golden ticket. Mama couldn't get you the golden ticket. And I've never understood people that get spiritual counsel from people that are just as ignorant as them about spiritual things. I do not understand that. Well, my friend said, well, is your friend a lot closer to God than you? Well, no, he don't really believe. Then why are you listening to him? Why? Why would you not listen to people that are further down the road than you, that are closer to the Lord than you? Why would you not listen to people with uh, more uh, education and theological things and otherwise? Why would you listen to them? That's the blind leading the blind. The Bible says both fall into a pit. Why would you do this? You listen to the one, and basically what the writer is saying, look, Jewish Christians, you listen to angels. You believe to angels. Jesus is so much greater than the angels. Why are you struggling to believe him? He has shown you. He has told you. You know, whose opinion really matters. The gospel is spoken and confirmed over and over and over. But don't let go of it. Hold on to the truth. Hold on. Your eternal destination depends on it, lest you drift away. And you say, well, I didn't really do anything. That's the point, man. You didn't really do anything. Every single person here, every single person watching, every single person listening, by the time we say amen, you are going to know the gospel. You are going to hear that Jesus died for your sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and raised the third day according to the scriptures. And if you will trust him by faith, give your life to him and trust him to be your captain, the captain of your soul, the captain of your salvation. If you'll do it, you will be saved. If you do not, you have neglected this great salvation. You drift all the way to hell. As far from God as one can be. Well, I don't like that. That doesn't make me feel good. Hell should never make anybody feel good. Our pastors had an opportunity to go to the Japanese place. We never eat that fancy, but we were doing a little staff thing the other day, and when that guy lit up the table, and it I said, would this be a good time to preach a message on hell? <laughs> it was hot. And even when I said it, I'll be honest with y'all, even when I said it, it grieved my spirit just a little bit because I thought, man, it's true. It is going to be hot and torturous and beyond horrific. And no words that I have, even they struggled even in the Bible to describe where the thirst would never be quenched, where the worm would not die. It's a horrible thought. But we tenaciously hold the truth. Our eternal destination depends on it. Second and final truth, it's much shorter. I want you to totally trust Christ because he is in complete control. See, the reason I can't leave you with tenaciously hold the truth, some of y'all got some Oprah theology and you think, well, I'll hold my truth and you hold your truth. That is not true. <laughs> You do not live your real life that way. Real life says there is truth, the truth, capital T truth, Francis Schaeffer would say. You've got to trust Christ, not just your truth or my truth, his truth, because he's the one in control. The Bible says he's not put the world to come of which we speak in subjection to angels. Angels aren't running the show, y'all. Angels don't run it. 
Jesus runs it. In fact, through David, he testified. Can you see David, the young shepherd, out in the field looking at the stars? This is one of the reasons I love night tournaments was we get out in a cove and it would be pitch black and you could look up. And it was just incredible. And David, the shepherd, looks up and says, what is man that you are mindful of him? Have y'all ever done that at night? Man, you could do that driving in early this morning seeing East Tennessee sunrise. What is man that you're mindful the son of man that you care. How is it that we have such an incredible, majestic God? And I'm a speck of a speck. I mean, if you really think about it, I'm a speck on a speck. Because this whole earth is just a speck in light of God's glory and this universe. And yet, you think of us? It's the way you could translate this, that you would think of us, that you are mindful of him, that you think on me? These words coming from Psalm 8 is King David really thinking about the seeming insignificance of humankind and yet simultaneously he's realizing his God cares. God knows him by name. God saw him in the victory in front of Goliath. God saw him in the defeat in front of Bathsheba. And God sees you in the victory and God sees you in the defeat. And God sees you everywhere down to the number of hairs on our head. God sees us and knows us. I'm I'm amazed at the times I've been flying and I've realized that you can just be at eight, 10,000 feet and lose sight of people. Do you know that? You you don't even have to be that high. Man, I parachuted from 14,000 feet. You don't even have to be that high and you can't see people. And yet God, who is higher than the heavens, can see right down to the tiny sparrow and the hair on your head. God can see that. God knows the detail of that. Why wouldn't you trust him? God sees me. And then he uses this term, son of man. Jesus loved that title. He applied it to himself more than any other. 84 times, in fact, in the Gospels. Just the Gospels. Jesus said, I'm the son of man. It was this title of his humanity. You have son of God and son of man in one person, Jesus Christ. And with the concept of son of man, how is it that the Bible could ever say that he was a little lower than the angels? Well, by his choice. By his choice, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, the God-man, left the glories of heaven willingly to pay the price for your sin and mine. And by his choice, he humbled himself. Look at Philippians 2 with me, guys. We call it the kenosis passage or the emptying. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. He did that. He took upon himself the form of a bondservant and came in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. He became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. It goes on to say, therefore God hath also highly exalted him, given us the name that is above every name. Right? I quote it all the time. You've heard me say that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and on earth and under the earth. That means all the angels up there, all the demons down there, and all the people in here. All of us will bow to the glory of God. All of us will proclaim the majesty and kingship of Jesus. But if you don't do it now, you'll be forced to do it later, and you'll still be separated from God. 
Please understand that Jesus being lower was only for a period and only in a small degree, but then it says God exalted him. God crowned him with glory and honor, and so he was willing to be lower than the angels, meaning they were still in the presence of God in the spiritual realm. They could still go between the spiritual and the physical, but Jesus willingly limited himself coming in incarnation in the flesh. For that brief 33, 33 and a half years. And he experienced temporary humiliation in the incarnation. But then, he didn't experience a resuscitation. He experienced a resurrection. And I kind of summarized it like this. What human beings lost because of disobedience, Jesus regained because of obedience. What did we lose, by the way? What did we lose? What does it mean to even be lost? It means I have no relationship with my father. See, Adam and Eve had a perfect relationship at one time, one where they could walk with God, talk to God, have intimacy with God, their creator. But in sin, because God is holy and perfect, he could not stand it. And so it created separation. This rip, this tear in the fabric of human, humanity and in the world was created by sin because in Adam all die, but in Christ all are made alive. So he was tempted just like the first Adam, but the second Adam would not sin, would not stumble in any way. We'll see about that later in Hebrews. Do you know it's interesting to me in verse 9, it's the very first time we see the name Jesus. You never see it in Hebrews until then, but the sacrifice of Jesus provides a profound picture of divine grace. The Son of God and the Son of Man willingly offered himself, and he tasted death for everyone. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Ah, he tasted death for the elect. He tasted death for the predestined. Okay, but the Bible says he tasted death for everyone. So if you want to hold to your limited atonement, hold it. And I understand what you mean. It's only effectual for sin. But I'm not going to strain out gnats to swallow camels. Did God choose me? You better believe it. Did God call me to salvation? Absolutely. Is salvation a gift from God from alpha to omega, A to Z, beginning to end? You better believe it, brother. God is sovereign and God chooses. Did I receive him? Yes, I did. I believe in the power of moral choice and free will. I believe that God gave me an opportunity. He gifted me faith by grace, but I I had to say yes. If you think just by sitting there, you're automatically in, you are badly fooled. You are not automatically in. Somebody gifted us some tickets. We were blessed to go to the UT game. I always try to do this every year for y'all one time <laughs> until I put my Carolina blue back on. And you need to pray for me if we have another game like yesterday. I'm just going to tell you right now. Here's the deal, though. It was very clear in that email you must get these. Click this button, do this. I could have walked up to the nice folks at the ticket counter because you know they're going all digital and I could have shown them that email and they would have said, you're not ready. You can't come in. Y'all follow me? Oh, that's good. I didn't give that in one and two. Y'all got a freebie. <laughs> you got to do this part. Yes, it's a gift. Yes, you didn't pay for it. Yes, you were given it, but you never clicked and downloaded that to your phone. You never got it in your wallet. I had it in my wallet. Now, you can be here today and you can say, I don't believe that. I don't believe we have to do anything. Well, what, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you and your household, and you will be saved. I don't know how it gets any plainer than that, y'all. I don't know how it gets any clearer. You see, my old fishing buddy, Charles, he was behind the wheel, but he wasn't in control. 
I love you, buddy, if you're watching. I love you, but you weren't. You scared me to death. Because he couldn't see what was coming. He had no idea what was just below the surface. And I'm gonna be honest with y'all. You're not in control either. Even if you think you are, you don't know what's coming. And there just may be a duck out there ready to take your head off. You see, when you think I've got it under control, I would remind you of Proverbs 16, 25. Look at it with me. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. You may think you've got it all figured out. I'm okay. I'll come to Jesus later when I get ready. That is not the way this works. I'm begging you to tenaciously hold the truth. Your eternal destination depends on it, and the truth is you need Christ just like me. And I'm asking you to totally trust Christ. He is in complete control. I'll end with this. My father was in the Navy four and a half years during wartime, 63 to 69. He served in Vietnam. He, he loved his time in service. He said it probably saved him from a lot of trouble. He wasn't running with the best group of kids in high school, but his daddy signed for him at 17. He went into the Navy as a young, young man. He worked his way up quickly and became navigator on that Navy destroyer, the USS Fred T. Berry. My father knew the water. Uh, he would tell me stories about coming out of port in the Philippines and they rode out a typhoon one night. He said all of those seasoned sailors thought they were gonna die that night there in the water. Water is a scary thing if you've been out in it and it's been raging around you. He's got certificate, he had certificates that said he sailed the world twice. It, those things that he was so proud of that, that he'd crossed the international dateline a number of times. And my father loved showing me his medals and he knew the water. Later in life, he and my mom were blessed to have a little place on Smith Mountain Lake, and he bought a Tritune, a large family-style boat. And my daddy could have done that boat in his sleep with his eyes closed and his hands tied behind his back. But one day, I got a phone call, and mom said, Dad's wrecked the boat. I said, oh, come on. She said, yeah, he, he was trying to get gas across the water at the marina, and he ran right into the dock, and he's messed up the middle section. They had to replace the whole middle tune of that boat. It cost a lot of money. And I knew in my heart of hearts... There's something wrong here. My father could have done this backwards in his sleep. There's something wrong here. It would be confirmed not too very long thereafter with that Alzheimer's diagnosis. And I'm just going to tell y'all, you may think you are the master of your vessel. And you may think you have got it down pat and nothing can stop you. Man, I am young, I am in control or whatever it is in this life. But I'm telling you, there's a dock coming that you can't handle. And there is something that's gonna reach up and bite you. And if you are not feeding your faith, it is evaporating if you've got it at all. And I'm begging you, how can we neglect so great a salvation? What do you got to do today to be lost? Nothing. Just keep walking out the door. Just keep saying later. Just keep saying not today. Just keep saying, but we've got dinner plans, but it's a holiday weekend, but I'm going to this and I'm going to that. Just keep saying that. Satan would love for you to just keep saying later, 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 later. I'll do it later. Some of you that have been dating a long time, you sweet girls looking at that bozo boyfriend, don't let him keep telling you later. You tell him, if you like it, you better put a ring on it. The way you feel betrayed at times when they're not, they're not giving me an answer. Why aren't they giving me an answer? 
How do you think God feels? You say, well, I don't know if I'm called. I don't know if I'm elect. I don't know if I'm predestined. If you come, you are. Congratulations. I just want to ask you this question, guys. When it comes to your life, who's at the helm? I'm going to tell you just like Joshua. I have no doubt the Lord Jesus Christ is at the helm of my life and my family. Would y'all stand with me? Thank you so much for watching us today. God is doing absolutely amazing things in and through our Grace Baptist Church family. If you'd like to share anything the Lord is doing in your life, feel free to reach out to us through our website or our app. And if you're ever in the Knoxville area, come by and worship with us and our family of faith here at Grace Baptist Church.